0: Welcome back to the Chelsea Overseas Podcast, episode 10. This week, we'll be recapping Chelsea's matches against the Wolverhampton Wanderers and AC Milan, and we'll be previewing our matches against Aston Villa and Brentford. So, first, let's talk about the Chelsea vs. Wolves game. I want to know your thoughts on Chelsea's performance, and how did they break down Wolves and really control the game?
1: Yeah, so it, it was a good result for Chelsea against Wolves. Nice and comfortable, 3-0. But I think what Chelsea did particularly well, and and in that first half, I think Chelsea were in control basically the whole first half, just missed the finishing touch, which we got at the end with Kai Havertz. But I think what Chelsea did particularly well is they set up in more of a 3-4-3 in possession. So Chalaba, Koulibaly and Kukurea making up that back three, and then Pulisic went into more of a left wing back role, and then Azpilicueta came out to right wing back, and that was against a back four of Wolves. So Wolves went into more of a 4-2-3-1 defensively, and then Chelsea were able to break them down, particularly on the right side was a big highlight. I think those wing backs were really able to stretch Wolves, And open up gaps in behind for more of those half-space runs where you could get in behind and down the sides of those centre-backs. So I think particularly it worked really well on the right-hand side where Espalicueta and Gallagher were able to get into good areas. Espalicueta on the right. And then Gallagher was able to make some good runs in behind the fullback. And Chelsea were able to find a lot of sort of 2v1 situations on that side. It was just about... Sort of making a count, in in the attacking third, and I think, I think as the game grew on, Christian Pulisic got a bit more involved too on the left hand side, but the wing backs were definitely key, and then the movement of the front three was really good. So we've we've started to see that under Graham Potter, where the front three of Chelsea are making a lot more runs in behind. So Chelsea are are switching the play quicker, but they're making a lot more vertical passes and making a lot more of those half-space runs in behind the back line. And Mason Mount has had a very key role, and I felt he was brilliant for Chelsea in this match in terms of breaking Wolves down because he's connecting midfield and attack. So at times, he's dropping off of the back line to make it look more like a midfield three. But then he'll also make runs in behind and, and look to combine with, the wing back or Kai Havertz and make runs in behind and f- form that front line of five. So I think the the wing backs played a key role in breaking Wolves down, particularly on the right. But the front three with those vertical runs in behind was key. And then Chelsea, just a matter of taking their chance. And they did with, with Kai Havertz there.
0: Yeah. Two things we do got to talk about, though. You mentioned the right side and... A lot of it really does come from Cesar Azpilicueta. So I want to know your thoughts on his impact and how important he was to breaking down that right side, as you mentioned.
1: Yeah, I think Aspi was really good in this match. And I think a lot of us were a bit scared coming into this because, you know, I think we saw Aspi in the lineup. We saw Christian Pulisic in the lineup. It was a bit rotated. There was no Thiago Silva. There was no Reese James. In the lineup, there was no Raheem Sterling, there was no Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, there was no Mateo Kovacic, or obviously Ngolo Kante. So, uh, you know, we, we were right to be a bit worried, but I have to commend the way that everyone stepped up uh, on, on Saturday last weekend. I think everyone that came in did really well, and I think Aspie was a big highlight. I think his deliveries into the box were really good too. But his, his um, combinations with Conor Gallagher were really good. And it was able to cause Castro, the left back for Wolves, lots of, lots of issues. And, you know, I think you, you also, I think Chelsea were able to find control in this match too from their high press. And, you know, what they did was they went into that back four out of possession in their press. So Chelsea went into that hybrid system so the christian pulisic would go to the left the midfield conor gallagher to the right and then havertz and mount would form a little bit of a front two but mount would drop just behind havertz at times and and mark Matinho and make sure that was very difficult for him to progress through the press so chelsea's pressing was very good too and in that back four made it quite difficult and you. You really think back to the first half and how many times did Wolves break Chelsea's press? Very few. So that hybrid definitely worked. And, and you know, once Chelsea got that first goal in the second half, they, they dropped into their shape in the back four. They didn't press as high. And the the fullbacks, particularly Marco Correa, did a really good job of making sure that those uh, wingers for Wolves um, Adama Traore in particular on the right-hand side couldn't get balls into the box for Costa. So, because Wolves were looking for that service into into the box from wider areas and Chelsea dropped off they didn't press as high but they were compact they were well organized and the fullbacks did a good job to stop the deliveries from coming into the box and then you see the threat that Chelsea had in transition in that second half and you see the you know it's a really nice goal that christian pulisic scores and then obviously bro when he comes on making the impact which i'm really happy for him to finally get the goal that he so well deserves but chelsea started to cause so many problems on the counter-attack and i felt the way that they played through the press of wolves two in the second half was good especially mason mount again connecting connecting midfield to attack
0: yeah, I mean, there were definitely a lot of doubts with the starting lineup, as you mentioned, you know, uh, playing Espela playing Loftus-Cheek, playing Gallagher, Pulisic, and, you know, he have all these really good players like Ben Chilwell on the bench, especially, but the main talking one being Reese James, but Espela proved to us again why he is still deserving of a spot in this Chelsea roster. Now... The last thing we have to talk about in this match is Kai Havertz. I want to know your thoughts on his recent performances under Graham Potter and if you think he'll play a key role in the coming weeks with the amount of matches there are.
1: Yeah, I think Kai did really well in this match. And I think as the game, as the first half grew on, he got involved in the build-up and and dropped off that back line well. And I, I think we're seeing it with him and Aubameyang their their involvement in the build up in Chelsea's system, to drop into the space between the lines, try to drag a defender out of position, open up space for uh, a run in behind the centre back. So I I think Kai Havertz did well in this match, linked up play well, and you know he got his chance at the end of the half and took it. It was a, it was a great header. It was Jose saw coming off his line there and he recognizes it and um is able to loop it to loop it over him so it was a clever finish and in the second half he did well to link up play with with mason mountain transition which then allowed christian pulisic Connor gallagher and the rest of the team to get up the pitch and create opportunities so i think kai havertz has been really good out of the international break i said he was good against crystal palace in the first match out of the international break he's good here Kai Havertz, with the fixture congestion, with, you know, little injuries that are going to play a role, 100% Kai is going to play, and he's done well since the international break, so hopefully that continues.
0: Yeah, really strong performances from Kai Havertz in these past couple weeks, and I do expect him to play a little bit more with, you know, the congestion of matches that are coming our way for Chelsea. Great performance, great comfortable 3-0 victory. Now another game against AC Milan, this one at the San Siro, and they managed to walk away with a 2-0 win. The biggest talking point, though, is the referee. You know, nine yellow cards and one straight red card makes that 10 cards in a game. But I want to know your thoughts uh, on the penalty situation. You know, me as someone who is watching this game as more of a neutral, like a Premier League fan, I, st- I do think the penalty call was a little bit harsh on former Chelsea man Fikayo Tomori, but I want to know your opinion. Was it? A, do you think it was deserving of a straight red?
1: So for me, I, you know, the ref was definitely card happy on t- on Tuesday, it reminded me a bit of a CONCACAF ref, which is quite funny, but you know, I, I, I do, and I don't want to sound biased, but I understand why the red card was given. Because in the end, when you think of a red card, you always say it's a denial of a clear goal-scoring opportunity. And in that situation, Mount has gotten behind for Kyle Tomori. So he's totally beat him. And then when you look at it on VAR, you see the tug on Mount's shoulder a few times. And he is being pulled back a little bit. And as much as maybe it's not... As much contact as you'd think a red card would deserve, it does fit the definition of a clear goal-scoring opportunity, a denial of a clear goal-scoring opportunity. So I can understand why the red card was given. I think at that point for Kyle Tomori, once Mount has gotten in behind him and he's in on goal and you're not catching up to him, You just kind of got to lay off and hope your goalkeeper makes the save. By making that tug on Mason Mount, you're inviting the ref to to make a difficult decision. So I do understand why the red card was given. And for the neutral, it sucks because it kind of ruined the game. So I can understand that.
0: Yeah, I mean when you put it that way in terms of a clear goal scoring opportunity, it does make sense that the red card was given. But as you mentioned, you know, the referee was also a little bit card happy, you know, gave way too many cards, and there were a lot of comments saying that, you know, if this ref was in the Premier League, he wouldn't survive a single day, you know, everyone would be sent off and everything. But I do understand where um Chelsea fans are coming from from saying that it is uh definitely a red card and i do also understand from people who say that it should not have been a red card but either way the pass is the pass and it was a 2-0 comfortable victory at the end what went right for chelsea in this game you know because they've beaten milan once before but they've changed a little bit things up but that red card really shifted milan's momentum but i want to know from you what really um was shown by chelsea today
1: yeah, I think what Chelsea did right. So Chelsea were in a 3-4-3. Three, three. So they were in the back three in and out of possession. But I think definitely Milan at the San Ciro, obviously at home, they're going to have some possession. And before the red card happened, I think what, what you saw was Teo Hernandez from left back who didn't play at Stamford Bridge. He would come into midfield. So he'd be completely inverted, right? And then Tamori, you'd see him actually play really wide. So Tamori would almost come out as like a left back, left center back. And then Ben Asser would sometimes fill the gaps in the back line or just sit right in front of them and help screen the, that, that back line. And then Leal would, was actually coming inside a bit more than he was at Stamford Bridge. So they were trying to overload that midfield area a bit, Milan, and then create space for Tamori on the left-hand side. But it didn't really work. I think Chelsea did a really good job. They, they went into more of that 5-4-1 defensively and were really well organized. They didn't press high too often in those early moments. And I think that line of four did a really good job. So Mason Mount and Raheem Sterling would support the midfield two of Mateo Kovacic and Jorginho. And it made it very difficult for Milan to break that midfield line at Chelsea and play through the lines and then get the ball into Giroud, get the ball into Raphael Leal. So it was very difficult for them to play through Chelsea and that line of four did really well. And, you know, Reese James did a spectacular job on on Raphael Leal. He basically man-marked him. And it was very difficult for for him to get involved. So Chelsea did a really good job defensively. And then there was that threat in transition when they went forward. So, you know, Tomori was really wide. In in Milan's build-up, he he went really wide. So when Chelsea won the ball back, there was always that threat when their wing-back got on the ball. If they were able to switch it out to the right to Reese James. And then a run was able a run could be made in behind, that threat was always there. And Chelsea found a way to exploit it. Once they got it out to Reese James and then Mount, Benza's run perfectly behind Fakayo Tomori and exploits the space. And then you create a penalty and it's 1-0, you got your red card. So Chelsea did, did a great job defensively and then in transition. And then once that red card happened I mean, that that was really game. Milan went into a 4-4-1 defensively, but Chelsea controlled things really well. And again, a lot of their movements in in their attack was really good. They, you know, Mason Mount was, was key. Him, Aubameyang, Sterling were key in terms of working between the lines of Milan, between the midfield and defensive line. And then you could switch it out to the wing back in into space when you could drag Milan's full back inside, or you can make those third man runs, those half space runs off the ball in behind. And it was very difficult with one up top for Milan to stop Chelsea's uh center backs, the two outside center backs from stepping out and playing those passes and breaking the midfield line. So the 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 red card made it very difficult and, and Chelsea kind of just toyed with Milan after that
0: yeah for me one big talking point though is Rafael Leal I mean this guy you know despite being down to 10 men this guy would always try and create chances by himself pretty much putting Milan on his back was like okay guys I'm gonna try and at least get us a goal or get us something and then you can see how frustrated he was trying to get past Reece James as well I mean the guy is the best right back in the world for me so trying to get past Reece James, but still being able to get some chances um, was really impressive for me, and I really hope to see Rafa Leo in the Premier League soon. But one standout performance now from the side of Chelsea. Obviously, you, may- you mentioned uh, Mason Mount, you know, winning man of the match in just 45 minutes, but also Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang having a really good performance. I want to know your thoughts on both of these players.
1: Yeah, well, I think I think they were awesome. I'm, I, you know, I mentioned Mason Mount and he gets his man of the match with only playing forty five minutes. You don't see that too often. The guy who subbed at half gets the man of the match, but, you know, and hopefully everything's okay with with a little knock maybe he took from this game. Maybe that relates to what we're hearing now that he wasn't in training today. But I think he was great in this match and and you know, like I said, with with his performance against Wolves, he's. He's linking the midfield to attack, but he's making a lot of smart runs without the ball. And, and you see on the second goal, when he's able to receive the ball between the lines and then play that ball in behind for whether it was intended for a bombing or Sterling. But uh, his, his movement and runs behind the line have, has been good. And he's been very key under Graham Potter. And we saw that uh, in this match too. And Aubameyang, I said it last week, you know, he is, he's a proven goal scorer. He's still got the quality in front of goal. He's an absolute class finisher. And it was a great bit of communication on the second goal um, for Sterling and him just communicating in those split seconds for Sterling to just kind of move it out of the way. And Abamiang's able to kind of get it onto his right foot and, and put it home. But Aubameyang's been good. He's He's been involved in the build-up. I liked his involvement in the build-up against Milan, between the lines, and and then he's got the instincts in the attacking third. And you got the deliveries from wider areas from people like Reese James. So I'm really happy with Aubameyang. He's got three goals in his last three starts, and he's getting involved in the build-up too, so it looks like he's just getting in tune to Potter's tactics, which is great, and... You know, definitely. Although it was against ten men um, for Chelsea, I think the way that they were able to break. Sometimes it can be difficult breaking down ten men when they sit off you. And you know what, Chelsea. A lot of the, like I said, the movement from the front three, the runs in behind, and and the quick switches of play too, to get Reece James in advanced areas, was really good. And and there was barely a threat, or there was no threat from for Milan going going forward after that red card. So well done Chelsea and we're top of the group now.
0: Yeah. I was really criticizing Chelsea for, you know, the really shaky start in the UCL, but they managed to bounce back and now top the group. So fair play to Chelsea. But the biggest talking point for me though is what really changed under Grand Potter, right? You can see the attacking fluidity and just really how much smoother it is under Grand Potter. And after this win against Milan makes it 4 in a row. So I want to know your thoughts though as a Chelsea fan. What's going so well for um under Grand Potter compared to Thomas Tuchel?
1: Yeah, for me it's it, it's I'm impressed with Potter and how quickly he's gotten the players to make a lot more dangerous runs in behind, be more direct switch the play a bit quicker, whether that's switching it with one pass or multiple short passes, and then making a lot of those vertical passes, and that's from making dangerous runs in behind, and you did feel like under Thomas Tuchel that it was definitely very pragmatic at times, and that sort of fluidity and movement in behind wasn't always there, and and that's for different reasons, right? But definitely, Graham Potter's getting already in, in a short amount of time, and it's impressive how he's been able to do this. But he's getting more out of Chelsea's attackers, right? From getting them to make more dangerous runs in behind and make a lot of those half space runs, which I think is really key. And it's opening up different avenues for Chelsea and making them a lot more difficult to handle. Chelsea under Potter have have started to show a tactical identity uh, pretty quickly. And hopefully that only builds over time because it's obviously on very early days.
0: Yeah, really impressive start um, to um, Graham Potter's life at Chelsea. And we can only... I hope I look forward um, and look even better in these upcoming Premier League fixtures for Chelsea. Speaking of which, we will be previewing Villa and Brentford together this week. So the biggest concern, though, is injuries for Chelsea, really. And there's a lot of them. How does Graham Potter approach this difficult period?
1: Yeah, so Wesley Fofana is going to be out until the World Cup and is probably going to miss at least part of the World Cup, which, you know, you, you know, obviously sucks. And this is just the timing of the World Cup this year. And we, we pray that this doesn't happen with Canada, but it's inevitably going to happen to big names and, and players from different countries competing. And it, it sucks. You feel horrible for for players who are going to miss what could be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for some of them. And, you know, Angolo Kante is the latest big name to be basically ruled out of the World Cup. He he was supposed to be back, like, this week, but he's had a reoccurring injury, a little bit of a setback, as Grand Potter's called it. And it looks like he's going to be out until after the World Cup. So, horrible news there, and you never like to see that, and... Reese James, we're waiting for final confirmation. We've kind of seen conflicting reports of, it's not as bad as we think, it is as bad as we think, but let's see what Potter says this week, but it doesn't sound great. And you do worry that not only is he gonna miss time with Chelsea, he might miss a little bit for England. So, and then and then there's Mason Mound to miss training today for whatever reason hopefully that's nothing long term but it it sucks in terms of what Potter does I think what you look for is so when Chelsea have used a hybrid formation that shift between the back four and back five has always been on the left so you look at Raheem Sterling against Salzburg in Potter's first match, Christian Pulisic versus Wolves in, the second, in uh, this latest Premier League game. You can probably move that shift over to the right side and have Pulisic and Ziyech, Pulisic or Ziyech, at wing back. And then you got Kalidou Koulibaly at left centre back, Thiago in the middle, and then Aspi or at right wing back. And then at left wing back, you have Kukurea or Chilwell, and they become that left back in the hybrid. So then Pulisic or Ziyech become the right midfielder in whatever the back four system is. So that's, I think, what might be the best way forward, especially because if you do play at right wing back for a large amount of time, you're leaving yourself with three central defenders, right? Kukurea could play in the back three too but you don't have as many options there. Fafana's already out and Thiago always needs a rest every once in a while, which you have to think about too. So it may be easier to use Pulisic and Ziyech in that wing-back right midfield hybrid role. And then also the thing is, if you do put Loftus-Cheek at wing-back, which who knows if Potter would do that if he sees that in the way that Tuchel did, but if you do that, then we're light in midfield because Kante's already injured. But we have so many options in our front three and people that could play in the front three that if you were to put Pulisic or Ziyech in a wing back role, right, you, you're not short of options in your front three. So uh, I think that's the way Potter will go. But definitely, if he wants to keep this honeymoon period going, hopefully it's more than a honeymoon period, but if he wants to keep this little winning streak going, you would think that this is the key to doing that if you could figure out this little puzzle of how to get get it right without Reese James in that right wing back role. Because we don't honestly have that like-for-like like replacement.
0: Yeah, it's going to be tough for Chelsea, but I believe in this Chelsea squad to get it done. First match against Aston Villa. You know, thoughts on thoughts on this Aston Villa team? Because they're not looking too hot right now. They're sitting just above the relegation zone for a team that, you know, we kind of predicted to maybe make Europe. So what's going wrong with them and what can Chelsea really exploit?
1: Yeah, well, I think Villa, it's been obviously a difficult year. As you said, just above the relegation zone. For me, you look at the attacking options they have. Philip Coutinho, Ollie Watkins, um, uh, Emmanuel Buendia, Danny Ings, Leon Bailey, there's options there, but they're not really, like Coutinho's far off of it, right? They're not really offering a lot for Villa, and they're a team that greatly also relies on on width from their fullbacks, so they'll play quite narrow too, so, so that front three will often be quite narrow and they'll be inverted. So Coutinho, Leon Bailey will be inverted. And then you'll have the fullbacks bomb up the touchline, right? And that's Luca Digne. that's Matty Cash, two players that love to get forward. But it, the, even the service from wider areas maybe isn't the greatest and isn't what they want it to be. So a lot of people aren't performing in that team and Steven Gerrard's really under pressure. And I think in terms of what Chelsea can exploit, I mean, it's obviously a team with low confidence. And if you can start well at Villa Park, then you might hear the moans and the groans and a few boos at halftime. And that can really unsettle things too for them. But when you look at this and you look at how it could match up against Chelsea, if Chelsea do go to that back three, those wingbacks could really press onto those Villa fullbacks quickly. Make it very difficult for them to get into space and deliver balls into the box. And because the front three, they're very inverted, our back three can almost go man for man on them. And make it very difficult for, for Villa to create chances and, and break us down. So that's something to look for in this game.
0: Yeah, the attack being obviously the biggest talking point for this Aston Villa squad. Fun fact, Felipe Coutinho actually has not assisted or scored a goal in the Premier League under Steven Gerrard yet. So, yeah, considering uh, considering someone of Coutinho's caliber, that's quite the shocking fact. And, you know, as you mentioned, this squad still has a really low confidence. You know, they just drew with Nottingham Forest, who's in the relegation zone right now. So... I believe Chelsea will walk away here with maybe not as a comfortable victory as Wolves and Milan, but with a victory, with all three points, and moving on towards the Brentford game, which will definitely be a bit of a harder challenge. I mean, I mean, you know, Brentford are in the top half. Of the table is sitting in eighth place right now with 13 points. What's going well for them, and how can Chelsea really contain them, or in particular, you know, Ivan Toni?
1: Yeah. So I think for Chelsea against Brentford, I think, I think Brentford have had a great year. You know, I I worried a bit about them after losing Christian Eriksen, but they've been brilliant this year. And even Tony has been wonderful. And you see he's got his call up to England recently. And he's someone who offers something very different for England. And I mean, you never know. Is he a wild card to make that World Cup squad with the way he's playing? That's a question that definitely can be debated. But, you know, I think Brentford have had a good year. And you saw what they did to Man United in in the early parts of the season. So this won't be an easy match for for Brentford. Sorry, for Chelsea. And hopefully not for Brentford also. But we know Brentford, they have a big threat on set pieces. They're always pretty well organized and difficult to break down. They have that front two of Embuemo and Tony. It's got a lot of pace, got a lot of physicality, and when they can get the wing backs up the pitch, they'll go into that 3-5-2 a lot of times against the bigger teams. And when they can get the wing backs up the pitch and service into the box for Tony, he has a big aerial threat. So it's something that definitely Chelsea have to have to be ready for.
0: Yeah. Um, fun fact, actually, Ivan Tony actually is tied for the second most goals in the Premier League right now with Harry Kane and obviously Erling Haaland with 15 goals, which is ridiculous in first place. But, you know, Ivan Toney has really been a really surprisingly good player and containing that Brentford attack will really be the hard part. But I believe in this Chelsea squad to get the job done and at least get a result. I predicted I predicted a 2-0 victory against Aston Villa and I predicted a 1-0 against Brentford. Will be a bit hard but I believe that Grand Potter might focus a little bit more on containing Brentford's attack than really going out on the all-out attack himself. What do you think?
1: Yeah, and I you know, I think a key to stop Brentford also is you, you obviously well, you want to limit the set pieces as much as possible, but to limit their sort of transitional threat too is is pressing higher up the pitch and making it very difficult for their midfield to get on the ball because they'll often go 3 in midfield instead of having a 2 with a front 3. So, if they're in the back 5, so if if Chelsea can do a similar job as they did on Wolves were making it very difficult for Jean Matinho to get on the ball and uh, get Wolves up the pitch. If they can do a similar job and making it very difficult for, for Brentford's midfield with their press, then it could limit the amount of service and also could limit the amount of opportunities that those wingbacks have to get up the pitch. You can really pin them in their own half.
0: Yeah, good luck to Chelsea in these two games and I really hope that they do get some good results. Right, that's going to be it for us this week. We'll be back next week to recap our games against Aston Villa and Brentford. We'll be previewing a spicy match against Manchester United and the UCL against Salzburg.
1: All right, thanks for listening and go Chelsea.